Welcome to the Messianic Media Podcast, a discussion of Messianic, Christian, and secular artistic works with David and Mark. Welcome to the Messianic Media Podcast, a discussion of Messianic, Christian, and secular artistic works with David and Mark. Today we're talking to my dad, Messianic Rabbi Barney Kazan. Uh, how's it going? Oh, good, son. Good to hear from you, David, and Mark as well. Yeah, hello. You're also the author of God's Appointed Times, God's Appointed Customs, uh, your UMJC leadership, including uh, the president. What were some of the other books that you've... Since those uh, two books about uh, customs and holidays, I wrote a 400-page Messianic uh, commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, also written a similar commentary, a shorter one, but on uh, Paul from a Jewish perspective, a commentary on the letter of Ephesians. So oh. four, four books published. And by the way, the fifth one, the book of Acts is at the publisher. So as we uh, speak, hopefully a couple months down the road, that will be in print. Oh, nice. I've read the whole, either the entire book of on Matthew or like 300 of the 400 pages, <laughs> at least yeah. at least that amount. But I, yeah, I would love to read the, the Paul. Yeah. I'll see if yeah. I can get it in Japan. Yeah, there you go. Well, I guess Amazon goes everywhere these days, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> they do. <laughs> of course, my focus on ministry is the Jewish backgrounds of the New Testament and the Jewish Jesus, Yeshua. And, uh, you know, being born Jewish, raised Jewish, that uh, just yet seeing how uh, Yeshua is the completion of what the Messianic idea is about. Uh, Mark and I, you know, we discuss music, we discuss movies. Um, we recently were discussing the film Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, which obviously features as a plot point them uh, finding the Ark of the Covenant in Egypt. I was definitely thinking of you as discussing some of the uh, biblical archaeology background, because I know that's a, a passion for for you. My first impression on that, at least, you know, looking back on the film, is that they probably chose Egypt as a spot for the Ark of the Covenant, just as a plot point. Um, maybe it looked more dynamic than having it in Israel. Do you know any thoughts or theories on what happened to the Ark of the Covenant? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Of course, the Ark of the Covenant, I guess we should define first, was the the box that uh, God told Moses to construct to hold three important things, which was the tablets of the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, the rod that Moses held when parted the sea, and also uh, some manna, some of the special bread that uh, came down uh, feeding the children of Israel in the wilderness. So memorials of that, and of course it was so long ago that... Uh, you know, slim chance on it actually surviving in that form. Yeah, it's a mystery what happened to that arc. So actually with, with Raiders of the Lost Ark, Steven Spielberg, not exactly a religious Jew, I would say, but, you know, it's kind of a good theme for a Jewish uh, uh, writer and director to pick up on because it's already a, a legitimate mystery what happened to this most special religious object of Judaism 
and uh, classic uh, era of Moses. Yeah, there's theories about being in Israel. There's the movie picks up on actually a biblical idea because in the historical book of First Kings during uh, Solomon's era, that Pharaoh that came in and raided uh, literally the <laughs> temple. It says that now in the fifth year, King Rehoboam, Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king's house, took everything, even taking all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. And it doesn't specify like what, I mean, there are a lot of things, so, uh, but, but presumably the ark would be on the top of the list. And if it was a pharaoh, it says it took him back to Egypt. People may be a little surprised that, wow, it's actually kind of a biblical theory that the ark would have ended up somehow in Egypt. And uh, those who remember the movie, uh, of course, the whole thing plays out in, in some, some burial tombs of Egypt. And, and of course, uh, he takes it up to World War II and the Nazis are in the area. So adds adds to the interesting intrigue. It's actually a, a, a reasonable theory. So that's interesting. I had no idea that that was specifically tied to the Bible. What other theories have you have you heard of um, surrounding it? Book of Second Kings, chapter twenty-five, verse eight through fifteen. Again, this part of the Bible deals with uh, Babylonian captivity and and uh, you know destruction of the temple. Before that, uh, it says Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came and he burned the house of the Lord. Okay, the king's house, the houses of Jerusalem. So that's all 586 BCE history. That the Chaldeans broke into pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. They took away pots, shovels, snuffers, spoons, that the temple service. And the captain of the guard also took away the fire pans, basins, and a lot of the fine uh, worship instruments from the Temple of Solomon. So uh, it doesn't mention the ark specifically. Was it carried to Babylon? That's, that's one possible uh, theory. Now there's other verses in the Bible that talk about the ark. And probably the most logical is that it would have stayed in Jerusalem itself. Um, and uh, in fact, this is from some of the apocrypha literature that that the prophet Jeremiah, when he saw the destruction coming, he remember he lived during that 586 destruction, that he uh, uh, hid the instruments, hid the ark before the, before the Babylonians or the pagans could get to it. And that's very interesting. Anyone who's been to Israel knows that it's probably the per capita, the country that has the most caves in the world. Huh. I mean, it's just caves all over the place. So burial chambers, caves. Uh, and that's why they, one reason why they keep discovering all these interesting finds in, in Israel even today. So uh, it kind of uh, makes sense. Uh, and, and in Jewish tradition, those who've heard of uh, the Talmud, the Talmud and Tractate Yoma, says that the priests, some priests buried the ark in the temple mount itself. So right where the temple is and modern 
excavations show, I mean, you can walk around some of those caves and tunnels in the Temple Mount, uh, modern Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Probably makes the most sense that the priests, when they saw the dangers that they uh, hid the ark even in Jerusalem. So is it in Jerusalem? Is it in uh, other places like Egypt? And actually there's a, a really interesting theory that the Ethiopians took it down to, to Ethiopia. And that's a whole story in itself. The, the bottom line is we don't know what happened to that most amazing artifact of history. And you would think someone would know and you would think it would show up somewhere, but our Jewish cousin Spielberg made a nice movie out of the possibilities. So the, the second temple then completely operated uh, without the, the Ark of the Covenant. They just had, I mean, that wasn't where sacrifices were made, right? Correct. I mean, there were sacrifices, uh, David, but what the Talmud says is that, that uh, without the Ark, that they actually used a cornerstone from the first temple, just a limestone, Herodian-type stone, and they realized, well, we don't have the ark. And remember, as you you note, that the the top of the ark, kind of, well, think of it as a chest, a big chest drawer, so to speak, a uh, cabinet, and the lid of it was where the annual sacrifice for Yom Kippur was to be done, the blood of the Yom Kippur offering in biblical times, right on that Ark of the Covenant, one time a year is the most holy time. So it presented a problem. The good news is that the Jews came back from the first destruction from Babylon and, and, and returned with Ezra and Nehemiah and that later generation and uh, rebuilt what would be called the second temple. They never did bring the Ark back. So even in Judaism, not sure what happened to it, where did it end up? Uh, but the Talmud records that, well, they used, uh, just put a, a cornerstone from the first temple there, and that's where the sacrifice was made uh, for Yom Kippur. Kind of sensationally, uh, Ron Wyatt um, claimed to have found the Ark. Um, he's also claimed to find a lot of other major biblical objects. In his case, he did say uh, that it was Jeremiah that hid, hid it basically in Jerusalem or like right outside uh, Jerusalem. It's essentially like one of those caves that you mentioned. He said that basically uh, the Lord told him to go look inside one of these caves. He just kind of just felt a, um, God speaking to him. And then he walks inside and he dug inside the cave. What he finds is something that looks, resembles the Ark of the Covenant. And then also seems to have some some kind of blood on top of it, and his basically the theory is that Yeshua was was crucified above um, the blood. Some of the blood spilled down from the um, like the cross, the you know the the post, and it came actually came down all the way into the cave and then dripped on top of the on top of the ark, like so the the atonement, the 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 sacrifice from Yom Kippur. He also he also claims that I think there was some kind of angels protecting it and guarding it. I'm familiar with uh, Ron Wyatt and uh, some of his writings, and as you can imagine, that a lot of secular uh, archaeologists, Israeli and and uh, other archaeologists, would 
would take a strong issue with, you know, what he found or if he found it or, or where he found it. Um, so, and I can't say that I'm, again, I'm not a, a professional archeologist, I'm a, I'm a rabbi, but, but um, my first inclination is, is yeah, you, if it's something is really from God, then it'll be confirmed by a science like archeology. span by definition, science is usually a bunch of guys and women arguing with each other on interpretations. It's right. like the, the discovery is the discovery, the, let's say, maybe the box. I mean, it's there. It's the hard evidence. But then you have multiple interpretations of what it is, what it means, uh, what it, where it dates from. And uh, so these are all, you know, scientists uh, disagreeing and arguing about these things, not to mention theologians and rabbis and, and clergy. Needless to say, there's been no proof of what uh, Wyatt uh, talks about. Um, you know, it'd be very interesting. I, and again, I'm a believer in Yeshua, Jesus as the Messiah. I believe that Torah. I believe in God. So, you know, on one hand, I'd, I'd like to believe uh, he found that and it would be an amazing outside confirmation of our faith. I haven't seen the latest on what, what uh, uh, the other archaeologists uh, say, how they interpret it. I will say that the idea that, again, and Mark, you correctly use the word theory because really uh, all these things are theories on what does it mean, what did we find, and the theory that somehow the Golgotha, you know, where the, the cross was, where the Romans executed criminals and where Yeshua was executed, that his blood would uh, have literally come down below uh, ground to the ark and the mercy seat. And while that is great theology, uh, because this is what Messianic Judaism believes and really biblical Christians that, that Yeshua, Jesus came and died and, and by his death, it, it talks in, in the New Testament that his, as it were, he was the sacrifice and the blood atonement for our sins. I think sometimes people read the, the Bible in, in a very, I'll say, Western westernized way you know if you if you will kind of the greek way of looking at things which was very literal very detailed and a lot of good stuff about that but the semitic community that wrote the bible that was used to write the bible have a very different you know semitic eastern way of looking at things so that's a whole discussion itself so in other words for me as a believer when i read Verses like the, you know, Yeshua's blood was put on the Ark of the Covenant for us. Uh, it doesn't have to be literal. I, I actually yeah. don't think it was literal. But right. it means it's still a truth that his death covered our sins. His willingness to, you know, as the Messiah, this is the whole Messiah idea to God's anointed one would come and willingly give himself up. And though he was sinless, he could therefore qualify to be the sin offering for not only Israel, but for the whole world. Yeah. yeah. So if you follow me, I, I think, yeah, the symbolism of, 
his blood on the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, but it doesn't at all necessarily mean it has to be physical, yeah, to fulfill yeah. that. But I think some people have that Greek literalness that that um, actually is not how the even the Semitic writers intended it. Hmm. Okay. So we mentioned earlier that you know there were a lot of finds in Jerusalem and I guess also in Israel because of um, because of the cave system. Um, what type of things have, have they been finding under the Temple Mount and other places? Well, one of my uh, favorite uh, uh, topics is uh, a find called the Baruch Seal. Baruch Seal. Uh, seal as in sealing a letter, a clay seal, not as in the animal seal. <laughs> and Baruch <laughs> may sound familiar to people because Baruch was the scribe. He's mentioned by name, the scribe of Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah. Oh, yeah. Going back to 1975, in context of Jewish history, that is like very contemporary. There was about 250 of these seals. They're called boule. If our listeners can imagine, it's like a coin size and they're seals that would be wrapped around a scroll, for example, with some leather and the seal would identify, you know, who it's from. It's, it's basically like your return address. And I guess we still say seal of authentication, that kind of thing. So these clay seals were the common uh, thing for so many centuries, certainly used in, in ancient Middle East. Well, 1975, archaeologists were digging around that 586 BC level of Jerusalem. That they can tell, it's like everyone, I, I, I've not, I haven't read anyone that disagrees, because you get down to a certain level of digging in the city of Jerusalem, and there's a, just a level of burnt ash. And it's so consistent. And it's 586 BC, of course, the Bible tells the details of how the city was destroyed by the, by the Babylonians in that year and temple destroyed, but you know, the whole city really destroyed. And so if you find that burnt level, you know, it's 586 uh, BC. Well, they were digging around on that level and they came across uh, some seals. What is so interesting about the, this Baruch seal uh, is that uh, if you can imagine these clay coin seals, so to speak, and they identify, you know, who it's from and what it is, in most of archaeology, if you have, let's say, for example, parchments in history, I mean, maybe they can last a few hundred years. So those things, you know, uh, leather can last longer than the paper papyrus, but and especially if you can imagine with fire, you know, and the destruction that took place at 586 BC. But the, uh, I guess I'd say the irony is that everything is destroyed in that fire, but the clay seals are actually improved. <laughs> it's like going into the kiln, <laughs> right? And uh, they become hardened and preserved. They found like hundreds and hundreds of these clay seals from that time period well, 1975, back to that date, there were some uh, Israeli archaeologists actually at the Arab market, the Shuk, it's called, and uh, 
there's uh, you know you can find just about anything you need at the market uh <laughs> but they they this one vendor is selling clay seals the boule and and you know of course the the israelis uh understood that wow this has got to be valuable a lot of them were they're valuable in that they're they were obviously ancient and from that time period but you know you couldn't read anything is like you know not too helpful but one seal in particular read in hebrew uh, barachia ben nariahu hasofer which in Hebrew translates to Baruch, Barachia, son of Naria, the scribe. If anyone wants to check out the Bible, Jeremiah 32, 14 uses that exact name, that same name to describe the person, the, the guy who was the scribe for the prophet Jeremiah at 586 BC. Okay. I mean, get our mind around that a little bit you can you can see why this really uh sent reverberations through the archaeology world because it's one thing for the bible to say something and have a story about jeremiah and even his scribe but here that undoubtedly they have these seals that are inclusively dated to 586 and the destruction period and uh, one seal with the exact name that the Bible says the scribe. The cap of it all, they have uh, evidently a fingerprint on this clay seal. Oh, and nice. again, it was just kind of how you did things, right? You're writing a parchment, a, a, even a biblical scroll. And if you want to wrap it up or a letter from the king or whatever, you wrap it up, say, okay, this is from Baruch, the scribe. Here's my thumbprint. It's like, you know, literally sealing the letter. So how astounding is that? I mean, it's it's like 20, over 2,500 years old. Call it external evidence and proofs of the accuracy of the Bible. Now, one archaeologist said, nonetheless, we have to respect the historical accuracy, the way he put it, quote, the historical accuracy of the Bible. That for those of us who are, Bible believers believe in God, believe in Yeshua, Jesus as the Messiah. Finds like that are are just so encouraging. I mean, I guess I would say as a Messianic rabbi, I mean, we have faith because we know that the Messiah lives, and 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 we have good evidence of of God in spiritual sense. But I think it's very cool that that uh, God also gives us many call it external evidences outside the printed Bible that confirm and lead us to have a stronger faith in the Bible. So the Baruch seal is definitely one of those discoveries. Really cool. It seems like the Middle Ages or because Israel wasn't a Jewish state for so long that there was for a while, there wasn't a lot of corroborating evidence, you know, nothing contradicting, but then over time as people are discovering more things that are that are matching up with the biblical record. You know, it's so true. There's a great verse, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, one of the prophets of the Bible, Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 11. The stones cry out as a testimony of the history of Israel. 
although it's kind of a poetic way of saying it, that it's almost like uh, we can take it in that in a literal sense. You know what? The stones of the land of Israel are crying out, especially today, with the increased modern archaeology. Uh, you're very right, David, that, that the land just set kind of, I mean, it's always been there and all these things buried in the rocks and the dust of history of Israel. But remember, uh, there wasn't much motivation to dig and to find the history. I mean, for one thing, uh, well, the people just weren't that interested for how many centuries people didn't even have their own Bibles. Remember, it wasn't until the Middle Ages that the Bible was actually printed. And then uh, even later than that, that it was in the common vernacular where people could read it in their own language. And really, this it's, it's a science called biblical archaeology, but it, it's really one of the later sciences. You know, I mean, the Renaissance was happening and medical science and astronomy and all these things you can think of in history but but finally people started saying and especially there was a christian renewal a christian interest in in uh wow you know jerusalem's still there and we haven't really looked at it much and quite frankly the arabs who lived in the that part of the world for so long still in in the land of Israel, I mean, you know, they weren't inclined to dig around and, and deal with archaeology. But uh, it was uh, a lot of times the Christian scholars, uh, like Kathleen Kenyon, who said, you know what, if the, we believe the Bible, it describes so many historical sites, let's take a trip to the Middle East and dig around and see what, what we can find out. And it continues to this very day. I mean, I, I've taken well over 20 study trips to Israel. And and every time I go, even, there's new discoveries. And your listeners will, uh, I'm sure you hear things in the press and, and, you know, they found this in Israel, they found that in Israel. It's ongoing and it just keeps confirming, like some of the archaeologists are saying, that the historical memory of the Bible is totally accurate. When I went to Israel on a trip, I don't think we did something like that, but I think in recent and more recent trips, you've actually done some things where it's like a little bit volunteering, helping out with, uh, with some of the work. Well, yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to go on an extensive dig, but, but one very amazing stop that we do is called the Jerusalem Sifting Project, like sifting through the dust. And this is still happening as we speak in, in 2022. About 10 years ago or so, in the Muslim quarter, they began excavating. I think they were going to build like a, a small mosque, a chapel, uh, in the Temple Mount, like kind of underground. And, oh, wow. and it was actually without <laughs> legal authority and permits. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they do have laws over there. And, you know, Jews and Arabs try to cooperate, of course, ongoing challenge. But the Arabs went ahead, uh, the Muslim or whoever authority uh, excavated illegally a lot of dirt from the Temple Mount, if you can imagine. I mean, wow. the whole, it, it's kind of the holiest spot on planet Earth, actually. 
yeah. and, and took out several tons of dirt. And to them, they just unloaded it outside the old city, you know, just basically dumped it. It's like, it's just dirt. And we're, you know, it's, it's like any construction project. We need to get rid of this excavation. Well, again, the Israelis understood that, wait a second, this is like the holiest dirt. We, we got to take a look at this. So they actually moved the dirt from that first location a couple miles down the road to the Jewish neighborhood and painstakingly sifting through every foot of that dirt and to see what was buried in the Temple Mount there, that part that they excavated. What's really cool is that they invite the public to uh, participate. So you're right, David, we, this was after trips you've taken but uh, the last couple trips when I've gone you can go to this place and you get your sifting tray and and throw some dirt in and sift it and and you know most times you're you're going to get something like broken pottery shards that even go back to almost Roman period think about it it's it's on the temple mount they have found like things going pre you know, Yeshua, they have found Roman ancient coins, Herodian coins, and the sifting project goes on. Any of our listeners uh, happen to get to Jerusalem, check out the Jerusalem sifting project, and you yourself can actively participate, spend a day there, and who knows, maybe you'll make the discovery of the century. Yeah, cool. How much dirt is there? Or how much um, how much soil? And, you know, uh, it's it, I can only guess. It's you know a couple of those big caterpillar, you know, tractors uh, full. I mean, it's it's uh, like basically a couple houses of mounds yeah. of dirt, if you can imagine that. And you, to go through every inch of it, they've only gone through I think about a half of it at this point. Okay, yeah. You know, we'll see what they find. So. It's kind of uh, sad that it was illegally uh, first excavated, but it turned out to be an archaeological treasure, literally for uh, for biblical archaeology. That is uh, very ironic. Thank you for sharing those stories. Those are fascinating stories. Uh, are there any other uh, big pieces? Uh, I, I remember I saw at uh, the MJA conference, I attended one of your lectures, but I, I didn't. I don't have my notes with me. <laughs> what yeah. are uh, what are some of uh, just a, a couple of the other the other big finds that you that you hold dear? Well, I'll tell you what. Let's jump to the New Testament. So, so one comes to mind. One of my favorite ones. You know, we tend to think of biblical archaeology as oh well, that's you know going to be King David or or you know Jeremiah the destruction. There's plenty of uh, finds for that. But of course, uh, New Testament later on. Uh, if the New Testament is true, there's going to be some archaeological evidence. It's just, it's buried in the rocks of Israel again. Everyone knows the name of Pontius Pilate, right? Uh, even, you know, a lot of uh, non-religious people, everyone is kind of, uh, you know, known for being the, Rome, the Roman ruler over Judea at the time of Yeshua. And of course, Pilate was a lot written about him uh, in the New Testament and in the Talmud, by the way, rule in Judea about uh, 25 AD to 35 AD. Even though Pontius Pilate sounds so familiar and he's a common figure in the New Testament account, and even Josephus talks about him, 
But the fact is, there has been no archaeological evidence of even the existence of a guy named Pontius Pilate. So this is where archaeology is so interesting, because again, it's not relying strictly on the religious writings, because people could say, well, that's just the religious thing, and maybe uh, someone made up this character, Pontius Pilate, for some polemical point, or, you know, uh, the Bible makes up stories. But uh, biblical archaeology, it's, it's just like you can't deny archaeology. It's in the rocks. Well, here's the story. This goes back to 1961. And of course, Israel, still a relatively new state. And, and by the way, that's what really ticked up the involvement in digging in Israel, is when Israel could be a state. You know, up until, think about it, until 1948, uh, it was very limited. Jews certainly couldn't have archaeology in the Holy Land. And even Christians were limited with the uh, Muslim control. Uh, the British got in there before World War II, so that kind of opened up the Christian side. Anyway, some archaeologists were digging around, checking out uh, the, the coastal city of Caesarea. Remember the Israeli pronunciation because it's uh, Caesarea. Very good. Caesarea. Yeah, so it's a hard K. It's funny because you have to put a, a Latin name. You know, of course, Caesar is not a Jewish word in the beginning. Caesarea in Israel. Very good. You remember your Hebrew, David, from living there for a while. It was actually a resort. It was Herod's and Pilate's Roman headquarters for uh, that time period, kind of their beach resort, as you, as it were, when they did, wanted to get out of Jerusalem. And in 1961, they're, you know, archaeologists, Israeli archaeologists digging around and, you know, hadn't found a whole lot. They were digging around the streets and they got to the Roman level, if you can imagine, where there's, you know, limestone, Roman kind of Herodian stones, uh, you know, maybe 10 feet below the current uh, level of the, of the soil. And they said, oh, this is fantastic. We found the Roman stones used in, in paving this first century street. Well, they turned over one of the paving stones in the archaeology uh, process. And on the back side of the stone was the inscription, quote, Pontius Pilate, and in Latin, saying, Prefect of Judea. And it happens to be the exact term used in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verse 1, in the days of Pontius Pilate, <laughs> Prefect of Judea. Yeah. Again, if we can get our mind around it, it's so interesting up until think about till 1961 technically there was no outside proof that Pontius Pilate even existed or he was a governor or he was anything that sure enough what the Bible had been saying for a couple thousand years it was finally proven with this discovery that was a surprise it was on the underside of that <laughs> they had used a you know evidently in other words that was like some kind of government billboard marker you know <laughs> political campaign slogan, who knows what, and they'd used it later as simply a paving stone, and they, no one saw it for <laughs> 2,000 years. And I think that's a, a good point to realize in all these discussions of biblical archaeology. The Bible says a lot, very specific. It's, it's a very unique book where it talks about specific places and dates and rivers <laughs> and mountains 
and villages and all these details. And quite frankly, we're, we don't have you know, the proof. I mean, some of these things go back 4,000 years, the mention of them, 3,000 years. But uh, this pilot stone, so to speak, reminds us that just because we don't have archaeological evidence of a biblical story, even at the moment in the 21st century, I have a feeling it's still in the rocks of Israel. It's just going to be discovered. And like we were saying, there's ongoing, almost weekly new discoveries in the land of Israel and around the Middle East that confirms the historical accuracy of the Bible. So, and in this case, the pilot stone, the historical accuracy of the New Testament. Oh, how do you keep up to date with the, the news? If it's big enough, it, it makes the general uh, news print and, uh, of course, social media these days. For years, I've been a s- subscriber to what's called Biblical Archaeology Review, BAR, B-A-R, mm-hmm. Biblical Archaeology Review. And it's a very interesting, it's a magazine, comes mm-hmm. out and uh, about every two months. And it has the up-to-date, you know, recent discoveries and interpretations the discoveries are there. <laughs> it's hard to argue with the rocks, but the magazine is written from various perspectives. It's not Christian, it's not Jewish. It's got Muslim, you know, interpretations sometimes, archaeologists, it's got uh, agnostics, it's got Israelis, all sorts of people discussing these issues and what they could mean. So if you don't mind <laughs> some strange theories sometimes and people contradicting each other and that's what science is, right? There, you're kind of iron sharpening iron. If you can handle that, it's a great, interesting resource. Also, some of the discoveries that I we were talking about, I have to give credit to Dr. Randall Price, who is a Christian evangelical uh, archaeologist. I mean, he's a PhD from Hebrew University, working right alongside with Israeli archaeologists, very well respected, Dr. Randall Price, and he actually has a book. Uh, a few years ago now, still very relevant, called The Stones Cry Out. Uh, Your listeners would find that very interesting. And Dr. Price does a great job of taking kind of this hyper-scientific archaeological stuff and synthesizing it down to where all of us can appreciate it and understand it. What does it mean to me? And what do the technicalities of these, uh, you know, the scientific uh, details mean? And I don't have to tell you guys, you're better than, a lot better than me on the social media, that uh, things pop up that like the latest discovery in Israel. I can give you one more since we're just coming out of the Hanukkah Christmas season. This is a very interesting one because it's actually from a shipwreck off of Caesarea, again, the coastal town, Caesarea. So think about that. They're doing archaeology, marine biologists, marine archaeologists under the water. And everyone knows there's over centuries, of course, shipwrecks right off the shore. And in this case, they were exploring out there and no trace of an actual ship yet, but they found a a trove of Roman coins, jewelry that that had been, and they dated to the Roman period. So probably about 200 AD. So not quite all the way back to the New Testament still, that's quite amazing. And it caught everyone's attention because they publicized the find just before Christmas. And one of the finds was a little, I guess you'd say a, a statue of a shepherd 
carrying a sheep on his shoulders. And for those who know the New Testament, that's a classic description of Yeshua, the shepherd. And he even says, I carry my sheep. I, I'm the good shepherd. And so here's secular archaeologists saying, oh, wow, this thing <laughs> that we found underwater is, you know, like 1800 years old. And it must be from some Christian believers because it represents Yeshua, Jesus, uh, being the good shepherd. And they especially noted in the new story I saw, they said, well, maybe that's kind of prophetic that, I mean, it was found a while ago, but finally the details were released right before Christmas. And when everyone's kind of thinking about, you know, the birth of that good shepherd at this time of year, things like that just come across social media even and keep up on the news in Israel. And I think uh, the physical land of Israel is, boy, for those who need a little extra faith, and a little extra encouragement of their faith. It's such a great way to confirm what the Bible's saying. Oh, that's really good. Thank you. I, and good, Thank guys. You so much. Well, I appreciate being on the podcast, and God bless you guys for just having the interest and the energy to get some of these information and interesting discussions out. And I'll look forward to uh, hearing the final product, even myself. Yeah, this was rich. Thank you for so much for sharing all of this. I hope everybody who hears it uh, is encouraged too, and maybe inspired too, or challenged to, to follow up on it. I guess people can contact you through, uh, I mean, if they're interested, the podcast. Yeah, we, we basically have an email. We kind of say messianicmedia at gmail.com and facebook.com slash messianicmedia. Yeah. So, hey, wish you guys uh, success and all that. And someone contacts you and says, hey, uh, you know, I got a question for the yeah. rabbi or whoever, feel free to uh, forward anything to me. Thank you for listening to the Messianic Media Podcast, a discussion of Messianic, Christian, and secular artistic works.